Church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, I want you to find the book of Ephesians. Whether you have a printed copy, as I prefer, or you have an app on your phone, I want you to find the book of Ephesians, and I want you to find one of the more familiar chapters in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. If you're a guest of ours, you picked a great day to come, because I normally preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line. We're in 1 Corinthians right now. We've just finished a a deep and difficult yet so beneficial series in chapter 5 and 6. And in a few weeks, I'm going to dive right into chapter 7 in a brand new series on marriage out of 1 Corinthians. I'm excited about that. Tell your friends and loved ones about that. If you know anybody struggling in their marriage, you know anybody considering marriage, if you know anybody wanting to give up on a marriage, come and join us as you hear God's Word. And I do believe that He will speak to you and encourage you. But from time to time, usually in the fall of the year or right after New Year's, I like to pause and just re-remind us all where we are. Vision sermons and vision series are important, and we do them in a lot of different ways, and we communicate the vision of Church at the Mill, hopefully weekly in some way and in somehow. If you were to walk around our campus, you'll see our vision captured graphically and through the power of word. We want to be a place of new beginnings and real relationships, and we believe this happens when we gather, grow, give, and go. You'll see that all over our campus, and we talk about that. But from time to time, I like to drill a little bit deeper. And so this week and next week, we're going to do a sermon series simply called Focus. And what I would like for you to do is to do what you often hear put in negative terms. You know, we often come to church and they say, hey, it's not about you. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on others. I'm not in any way arguing against that. But sometimes you ought to step in front of a mirror spiritually and take a look at where you are. I mean, think about anything else in your life that you do, any major decision. Would you buy a car without looking at it or test driving it? Some of you have no idea how to hook up a battery, but you'll pop the hood and look at it, stick your hands in your pocket like you're making an informed decision. Test driving a car. Now, I know the problem with test driving a car is that no matter what car you test drive, it smells better than your car. It drives better than your car. There aren't rotten goldfish and sour milk underneath the seats like there are in your car. Some of you have cars that have been taken over and hijacked by children, and every time I get in them, I want to update my tetanus shot. So when you get in a new car, it just smells good, it just drives good, and so you take a look at it. What if you're not feeling well? I'm not feeling well. I'm not really sick, but I'm not feeling well. And you make a checkup appointment to go see your doctor. What's the doctor do? He or she's going to walk in. They're going to say, well, let me take a look at you. And they listen to your breathing. They may examine or listen to and take your pulse, your heart rate. In addition to that, you, they're going to listen to you describe your symptoms, and then they're going to say, hey, let's draw some blood and take a little bit deeper look at where you are. And in a few days, perhaps a few weeks, you get a call back from a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, a nurse in the facility, or the doctor, him or herself, and they'll walk you through, hey, here's what your blood work's telling you. It's the idea of taking a deeper look. You'll hear coaches talk about this. Two or three, four games into the season, they'll say, hey, I'm finally getting a feel as to what this team's really made of. I feel like we learned something yesterday by the loss or the victory. I'm learning this team. Anybody here with a healthy marriage and you're proud of it knows that it did not happen automatically. At some point during your relationship, you paused and you took a look and say, are we doing okay Every person that professed faith in Christ today through baptism made a decision to trust Christ before today. 
What led to that decision was an internal examination. They focused in on where they are. So that's what I'd like to do for the next two weeks. I'd like to really focus on us. And I'd like to do it in real simple terms, simple guy. I'd like to focus inward this week, talk about where we are. And then next week I want to talk about outward, where we're going, what God is calling us to do in the future. Now, if you've taken the new member course at Church of the Mill, you know, I still teach that. I enjoy it. It's one of my highlights each month to teach it. You know that I spend most of the first hour in Ephesians chapter 4. If you were to ask me to only assign you one book of the Bible to read in relationship to how church should be done, what a church should be, how a church should function, I'd assign you the book of Ephesians. And if you ask me, well, inside that book, Pastor, would you assign me a specific chapter? I would say there is no better chapter on church than Ephesians chapter 4. And if you ask me within the chapter 4 of Ephesians to assign you a particular passage of Scripture, I would say the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4 are to me the most powerful summary of how church should function, which is why we talk about it in our new member class. We taught it last week to some of you. And if you ask me to drill even deeper into those 16 verses, I would draw your attention around verse 11, and I would begin reading Ephesians 4 in verse 11. Paul is talking about the formation and function of the church. Unlike the Corinthian letter, where Paul is addressing specific challenges and issues, the book of Ephesians is rather general. It is God's gift to all churches, namely first the church in Ephesus, but then to the rest of us about how church should happen. And it matters. It does not mean, it does not matter only to pastors, to professors, to elders, to deacons, to small group leaders. Healthy churches are healthy when every member, and for those of you who are simply attending today, maybe you're here to see a loved one be baptized, you deserve to know how church should function, how it should be done. Because to the outside world, well, it looks like a cultural obligation. The outside world would say, oh, you folks in the deep south, you love your church, and you're a Protestant church, you're an evangelical church, you're a church with Baptistic theology, and you build a nice facility, and you come in, and you encourage one another, and you leave, and that's good for you. It works in your culture. It's simply a phenomenon that happened. That's what the outside world would say. But for you and I who know the Lord Jesus, we know that Church means so much more than this building. It means so much more than this time. It means so much more than a particular program or a ministry. It is the opportunity to be joined with other people because following Jesus alone is really, really hard. We were not designed to do it. And this is why way back in the first century, Paul says these words in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who? Well, the leaders, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, they wrote the New Testament. The prophets, they wrote the Old Testament. The evangelists, these are people with a specific call to go to the gospel, go into the world with the gospel. And the, pro and the shepherds and teachers, that is actually one phrase in the Greek. It, it's the pastor teachers, the, the elders in the church charged with spiritual oversight and the teaching of the word, the role that I fulfill for you here at Church at the Mill. And he gave us these leaders, and here's why, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
So, so the church should put people in the best possible position so that they can do the work of ministry. But the work of ministry is not just about busyness. Look what it says. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, so there's this beautiful metaphor used in the scripture for the church as a physical body. So we know how to build a body. What does a body need? A body needs some time. Bodies don't come out built. In fact, they come out kind of pudgy and fat and flimsy. You would be too if you lived in a womb for nine months. When they come out, they're just moving. But eventually, they grow up. And we know that the best version of our body is usually right when we reach adulthood. Some of you are like, you better believe that was the best version of my body. Right when we reach adulthood. And the picture that Paul paints is of a full-grown, mature man, and the head of the body is Christ. But his attention in chapter 4 is everything from the neck down. If Christ is the head, what should the body look like? Well, Paul says that the body is given leaders so that it can be built up. So if you were to examine that body, what should you see? And this comes to verse 13, which I'll read. You'll see it behind me. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So if you ask me, if the body of believers at Church at the Mill was to go get a checkup, was to go get a checkup. Now, we don't need a checkup from the neck up because Christ is the head. But we were to get a checkup from the neck down, what would I want found? What would we want to see if we dialed in and focused on who we are? Very quickly, three realities. One, we would want to see all of us in Christ. All of us. Verse 13 says it this way. Until we all. The health of a church is not seen in its ability to reach one generation. The health of a church is a cross-generational acceptance of all people in Christ. We, we want everybody who God entrusts us with to make this journey. There'll always be people on the fringe because we're always reaching new people. Come next week, we'll talk about that. But if we draw a circle around the membership of Church at the Mill, we want everybody to be a part of the journey. There's a place for all of us. But it's not just all of us, because people can gather around all kinds of causes. All of us in Christ, together in Christ. Look at verse 13 again. Until we all attain what? To the unity, and then that unity is defined in two ways. Of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
Now, human beings unify over all causes. People are unified politically. People are unified socially. Tomorrow, if you go to your place of business, if you go to your work, you will share in common with your other friends that you work with a unification of employment. You work for the same company. You work in the same school system. You work for the same boss. You receive the same name on the paycheck. So there is unity there. People can be unified over causes that are bigger than themselves. People can get unified to fight cancer. They can be unified to fight mental illness. People can be unified to uh, bring the beautification of their neighborhood to a greater level, thus inc increasing their real estate value. People can be unified for all kinds of reasons. Unity is not the goal of the church. Unity in Christ is the goal. A and so we want to be all together. And what are we together in? We're together in two ways. Who we trust and what we know about him. In, in other words, we're together in the gospel and we're together in our pursuit of knowing the Lord Jesus more each day. And by the way, this is the secret to unity. The secret to a unified church is not to pretend we're never going to disagree. The secret to a unified church is not to tiptoe around one another. The secret to a unified church is for our primary focus to be on knowing and loving him and trusting him for the provision we need to serve his kingdom according to his will as outlined in his word. Which is why Paul says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's a direct relationship between the unity of church at the mill and the focus of the gospel and the preeminence of the word of God at church at the mill. Now, our church has plenty of areas we need to work on. I have a legal pad on my desk of the stuff we want to get better at. I'm not in any way pretending that we are a perfect church. But I do have people notice that there is a palpable unity, that there's not the presence of factions or divisions or power struggles. That is true. That is to be encouraged and celebrated. I'm very proud of that, but I didn't create that. That is not the genius of some backroom group of leaders or some methodological strategy. It is the focus on the gospel and the word of God. And when we make that the preeminent focus, then we're able to navigate our disagreements, and they're usually very few, and we're able to focus ourselves on the task at hand. So all of us together, last one, mature in Christ. This has a profound impact on me every time I read it, and I don't know of a passage I've read more or taught more in the New Testament than what Paul says here in verse 13. I'll read it one more time. It's right on the screen, and I've even highlighted the point of emphasis. Until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, remember I told you that Paul's picturing the church metaphorically as a full-grown man in his prime? Any boy moms in the room? Got any boy moms here? The girls are awesome. I got six children. My two favorite are my girls. <laughs> the other ones that struggle with that, we have a counseling ministry. They can set up and talk with somebody. I love my girls. But if you've ever brought a little boy home, you know something about a mom. They're little, they're, they're helpless, and, and they can do nothing. When you have a daughter, whether you have her in your life through birth or through adoption, 
Most women know that your daughter and you one day will see eye to eye. Physically, she might be a few inches taller than you. She might be a few inches shorter than you. But she's probably going to end up being about you. But when you have those boys, along about the time of 11 or 12, 13 or 14, some of them a little bit later, they start growing and eating. And they eat everything. And, and then they get big. And most moms know that your son is far larger than you when he reaches adulthood. His shoulders are broader. His arms are larger. He's stronger. In fact, you remember picking him up, and now he'll swoop in the kitchen and pick you up and mess with you. Some of you know that, that there was a time when you would lay him on the bed and tickle him, and now he can flip you on the couch and tickle you. And you have to run from that because when you get tickled, you can't predict what's going to happen because you gave birth to him. A real up in the house of the Lord today, didn't we? Don't tickle me. But there is something to see a mom be standing next to her full-grown son who's far stronger, far more powerful. His voice is deeper. His presence is larger. And most of the time, barring anything unforeseen, barring any conflict, when she looks upon him, maybe the day he marries, the day he walks across the stage and receives a diploma, she's so proud of the man he's become. While she loved him as a baby and she loves those memories, she would not rob him of the opportunity to be a man, to take a wife, to become a father, to work a job, to care, to lead, to be what God had intended him to be. Well, this is Paul saying the church is not supposed to stay in the baby stage. She's supposed to grow to mature manhood. Thus the language in verse 13, on the screen behind me, he says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the body should match the head. And if the head is the great king of heaven, the risen victorious warrior, the God of all universe, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the Alpha and Omega, then the body should reflect that. And as someone who's given his life to serving the church, it breaks my heart to see the condition of most churches far underachieves the reflection of their head. This is the great fundamental truth that everybody struggles to miss. I share this with pastors this week. The goal when we look in is spiritual maturity. It's not budgets or baptisms or buildings. It's people growing in Jesus. Because spiritual maturity takes care of all the outward things we like to focus on. Every single week, someone growing in Jesus comes up to me and says, Pastor, I want you to meet my coworker. I've been praying for them, and I finally invited them, and they finally come to church with me. It did not take an outreach strategy or a visitation night or some gimmicky T-shirt giveaway. It was them growing in Jesus that burdened them for their coworker to come to faith in Christ or to come to a place where their faith could be strengthened. This is what I tell every new member class. The goal, if we are faithful to do what we need to do together, is that when someone bumps into your life five months or five years after you become a part of Church at the Mill, 
And they say, hey, tell me where you go to church. And you say, oh, I'm a part of church at the mill. And they say, well, that's wonderful. And the small talk happens. Well, I, I enjoy the music, or we love the children's ministry, uh, or, 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 or we love the missions emphasis, oh, the pastor, yeah. but we love everything else about it. But here's the goal. This is the goal. I want every member to say, I'll tell you this, since becoming a part of church at the mill, I'm more in love with Jesus than I've ever been, and I'm stronger in my faith. When that becomes the goal, then when we begin to focus in, we understand the fruit of the story. So I've explained the text rather quickly because I'd like to spend the last 10 minutes just telling you the fruit of the story. I could go back and tell you the story of Church of the Mill from 1988, but I've done that many times. If you don't know it, it's a fascinating story. We actually have a history book that was written several years ago by a precious member of our church who's a gifted writer. You ought to get a copy. And I thought about taking you back to 1988 and reminding you that we were started by about 30 people in the living room of a retired pastor and his precious wife, both of which are with the Lord. I could take you to 2004 where this church took a chance on a kid that I wouldn't have hired. And Lord and I showed up here with a three-week-old baby who's a freshman in college now, and you've been so kind to us. Our, our family, our family, doesn't know that there's a line between family and church because we had no family here, so you became our family. When I retire, it's going to be a long time from now because of the family. But when I retire, one of the things I'm going to say to you that has been the greatest blessings of my life is that you loved us so well, my children love the church. So many men in ministry have children who are bitter and struggle against the church because they see the way the church treated their father or their mother. It's just been the opposite. In fact, I would think if given a choice, my kids would pick on me before they would pick on you. You've loved them that well. I could take you back to so many moments where God was so good in his provision, building the first facility that we were able to build in 2008, moving into it in 2009, and we spent a decade in the kids' theater. And if you were to walk into the kids' theater right now, you wonder how in the world did we ever fit into that building. I remember walking into that building the very first time and looking at the original building, which is across the street, and going, how in the world did we ever fit into this building? But I thought, for sake of time, and I think for clarity, there's been so many of you who have come over the last 48 months that I wanted to just take you back about three years. Now, I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to reading. I enjoy reading. I enjoy reading Wikipedia about everything. I enjoy articles. And I'll tell you what I love to study. I love to study maps and timelines. I just find them fascinating. And so I thought, with the help of our tech team, I would help you contextualize where we are to focus in just a moment on our timeline beginning in 2019. In 2019, we cut the ribbon on this facility and it really did shatter a glass ceiling. If you look at the progress of the growth of our church, we really have been, and I felt like I have pastored three churches, though we've never left this address of 4455 Anderson Mill Road. When we were Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church, we were very much a community church for the west side of Spartanburg. In fact, that was very much a part of the identity. And the people who founded this church had a heart to be a church for people who were unchurched, out of church, de-churched, and needed to be rechurched. And so they had a slogan where broken hearts are mended. And when I came, I recognized that it really was a place of grace and there was such a kind authenticity about the folks. Passion. We've started stuff really good. 
didn't finish much well, but we started stuff really good. We were willing to be led. Lord and I prayed two prayers in seminary, two very simple prayers. I thought about church planting. I couldn't wear skinny jeans. I thought about being a missionary. I don't do well cross-culturally. I'm good on mission trips, but I, 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 just, I, I knew God had called me to pastor a church and to preach. And so we prayed two prayers. Lord, we'll go anywhere you want us to go. I just want to go somewhere that wants to reach people. I don't want to go fight. And two, I'd love to have the opportunity to pastor in one place for a long time. I had no idea in his kindness that he would afford me the privilege of my first church, hopefully being my last church. And so I, I could walk you through all of those things. But in 2019, we really went through the third phase. The first phase was community, Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church. Then we became citywide church at the mill in the second building. And now we really have become, by statistically uh, qualification, a regional church. Thus, in 2019, not only did we cut the ribbon on this building, which shattered our glass ceiling, some of you have never worshipped in any other building but this building, we, we said we will be known as Church at the Mills so that people won't be confused about what the mill means, and we'll relaunch the church. And so the fall of that year, we sort of said, okay, if the goal was a committed pastor and a wonderful staff and tremendous small group leaders and great lay leaders, a beautiful facility and a steady flow of guests and a wonderful children's ministry and a student ministry and a worship ministry, we have a problem. We've reached all our goals and Jesus has not come back. That can't be our goal. We can't be in the campus building. We need to be in the kingdom building. And so we relaunched the church in 2019 and we were poised for what I thought was going to be a phenomenal year in 2020. And in 2020 at the beginning I gave you the multi-site vision that we were going to become a church with multiple campuses and that we believe due to theological convictions of your pastor and the philosophy of how we do church this would not be driven primarily by simulcast. We recognize that's a tool that other churches uses. We don't offer criticism but I believe theologically it is much healthier to launch campuses that are led by preachers who preach under our leadership. And so we launched that beautiful vision. And then about mid-March, something called COVID-19 invaded all of our lives. And we shut down. And at that point, I thought, well, the multi-site thing will just have to wait 24, 36 months. And we went into survival mode. Now, I want you to know, as a testimony to the health of our church, we did not survive COVID-19, we thrived. We saw over 400 people join our church during a pandemic. During a pandemic. Our online audience grew exponentially. And so we went to things like eDisciple to try to use technology. And the leaders rallied around that. So many of you led e-groups and loved ones. Some of you were in this church because you got invited to an e-group. And you watched some guy you'd never met on a video for a few minutes and you discussed it with people and you began to engage God's word and God began working in your life and you said, I want some more of that. And then when we reopened on Father's Day of 2020, we decided not to look back. And I believe one of the greatest decisions our leaders ever made was a simple decision, a decision I wish our national leaders had made. We're gonna let you make the best decision about your health. So if you wanna come, we'll preach. If you wanna watch online, we'll preach. We're not gonna divide ourselves over something that won't matter and now it don't matter. And so when we, when we think about the direction of our church in 2020 and then in 20, and then we fully reopen, I, I was approached by a friend in Woodruff pastoring a struggling church. I shared with him our vision and little did I know that right in the midst of this pandemic, 
we would have the opportunity to start our first campus in Woodruff, which is now almost 13 months old. They will celebrate their one-year anniversary in a few weeks at McKinney Park in downtown Woodruff and baptize in the center of the town right there. And when I, you can clap, you ought to clap for that. Don't be a Methodist. Be Assembly of God. So, so when we, when we, when we saw that happen in 2020 and then in 2021, as we fully reopened, we realized our student ministry was the next thing that we needed to address. And during a pandemic, we completed the student center, cash, no loan. You all gave so faithfully to that. We upfit it. And our senior staff was finally complete. Trip Atkinson joining our senior team kind of completed our senior staff. That had been a five-year journey to make sure we were staffed for the future. Now, not all of you know or understand everyone that works on our team. I wish I could tell you about the 65 people I work with every single day, but I don't have time this morning to mention every one of their names. But just so you understand the structure of our senior pastoral staff, three of them serve in congregational leadership. Three of them serve in generational leadership. Under me, our executive pastor, Ken Fisher, who's an incredible gift in my life, sort of oversees the operations of the church and is my right hand. And the three who serve the congregation as a whole is Jeff Brockelman, our worship pastor. You're most familiar with him because he's in front of you every week leading you into worship with the incredible team of folks he's put around him that God has gifted him with. In addition to that, Jarrett McNeely connects every person to our church through Connection Ministry, and Jason Williamson wants to mobilize every member in missions, more about him and his ministry and our efforts next week. And then there are three pastors that oversee generational ministry. So three over congregational, three over generational. Nate Brown oversees our children or our kids' ministry at Church at the Mill. Trip Atkinson, the last piece of the puzzle, an incredible gift to our staff, and he's brought with him uh, men and women that joined that team, working alongside those who were already leading our student ministry. And then after Trip, of course, they transitioned to adults, and Ashton Emerson oversees our adult ministry. He served with me a long time, and I love him dearly. And so when those men were in place and God completed that, that then prepared us for 2022. And that's what I stand to tell you about this morning. When I think about what God has done just in this year alone, and we are in the ninth month and the 18th day, I want to start with kids at the mill. We've opened every possible classroom in a 63,000 square foot children's center. Every single classroom is being used in some way or somehow. Last year, excuse me, last week, there were 920 kids at Church at the Mill on Sunday from birth through the fifth grade. 920. The children's ministry leadership called an emergency meeting and they've asked me to do a series on celibacy. Every Sunday morning, it takes 280 volunteers to make Sunday morning happen at Kids at the Mill. 280. The average Southern Baptist church in South Carolina is way less than 200 members. It takes 280 volunteers every Sunday morning to make that happen. In the last five years, we've had 250 kids go through the new believers class, give their life to Jesus, and be baptized. That's 250. Yeah. It's a huge deal. 
students at the mill. To try to describe the last year and the remarkable growth that this team has led in is very hard to put into words. I don't know that I've ever seen a ministry more poised for growth and then take advantage of it as our student ministry. I really felt like that that was the next way for us as a church family because children become students. And as you see the children's ministry grow and you see our influence, and I told Tripp when I interviewed him, we've been strategically positioned. We're right between two of the largest high schools in our community or in our state, not to mention all the other schools, homeschool co-ops, private schools, and different ways that students are engaged and shared about. In just the last few weeks, we have 82 new teenagers show up, brand new, to one of our students at the mill events or ministry opportunities. We've been averaging 350 students at midweek. That's Wednesday night, every Wednesday night this fall, 350. We have, amen. So one of our desires and one of the things that God equipped Tripp with that he did so well in his previous church is we wanna go after every high school and every middle school in this county we actually have staff members who that is their sole job, is school partnerships. To date, right now, this fall, we have 13 strategic school partnerships where we've gone to those high school or middle school principals and counselors and said, we are here, we are your church on call, you let us know what we can do for you, and we want to reach every kid you'll give us access to. You could not have built the student center in the more perfect time, and they've already filled it up. We actually have a sixth grade boys class meeting in a hallway, and dividers are on the way to put in the student center worship spaces, first and second floor, to create more small group space for Sunday mornings. When I think about the significance of that, I think about how it translates into adults. We saw a real need for biblical counseling. To be honest with you, there are a very small number of men and women in the upstate, not just in Spartanburg, who offer what we believe is biblical counseling. A lot of counseling in the world gets called Christian counseling, but it is not because it does not view the authority of God's word as the power for life change in people's hearts and in their lives. And so you can complain about that. Or you can do something about it. So we started a biblical counseling ministry. Since October of 2019, 345 precious people have received intentional biblical counseling through the biblical counseling ministry. Right now, 121 people are coming in weekly for counseling. We have 29 active counselors and 45 are in the exam writing stage. These are not paid. Most of these are laymen and women who have gone through intense training training that is on the graduate level to become a certified biblical counselor that we can then use to encourage the body. We also are working hard and we're within just a little bit of being a counseling center for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors where we will become one of the premier locations in the nation to come to receive training on how to give biblical counsel. Now we know that all of us may or may not need counseling today, though it's good, we need a small group. There are 102 small groups right now of adults across two campuses. As of September 11th, 1,100 adults have attended small group this semester. 
And 350 people signed up for small group for the very first time in the last two weeks at Group Link. Now, small groups aren't just for young people or middle-aged adults. We have 18 senior adult small groups. And by the way, they're the most fun. In their last senior adult gathering, they had 200 senior adults gather for fellowship around the spirit of the faith and to be together. Young adults, though, was a gap. When we began addressing that several years ago, Chris Kerger, our young adult pastor, told me this week that the young adult ministry and membership has grown 34% in our church from 300 to 406. We actually have a small group meeting at Spartanburg Methodist College and a small group meeting at North Greenville, and we're working to start other small groups for kids to be engaged in God's Word and connected to church at the mill outside of Sunday morning. When we see the opportunity for young adults, it's not just for college students. It's for young adults into their late 20s as they begin their career, a career that we hope will lead them toward generosity. Let me finish by just saying a word about generosity at Church at the Mill. You have been faithful. In a few moments, I'm going to challenge you. It will be candid and it will be blunt. But before I do, hear my words of warm pastoral love. You have been faithful. We don't talk about giving a lot at Church at the Mill, and here's the reason why. We talk about what the text talk about. So when I get to a text on giving, I preach on giving. But we've been in a text that has not been dealing with giving. We don't pull out sermons to target people when we feel like the budget is lagging behind. Here's the reason why. If you preach the whole counsel of God's word and people grow in their faith, eventually they will grow in their stewardship and their generosity. Let me explain to you how that works. Our executive pastor told me that right now we, our tithes and offerings, are $500,000 ahead of where we expected them to be this year. Half a million dollars. You're setting in a $16.8 million facility. Remember I told you we cut the ribbon in 2019? That's just a few years ago. For many of us, we know that if you go into a mortgage where you move into a new home, you expect to be paying on that home for 15 or 30 years. Just a few years ago, we moved into a $16.8 million facility. The technical aspect of this room alone is just under $3 million. We did not try to spend our money on ornate fixtures, but rather functionality. My favorite place is the pulpit. My second favorite place is the concourse, because that's where you do church and love and encourage one another. So our greatest debt exposure was around $13 million when we moved in. We owed $13 million in 2019, just three years ago. Today, I have the good news of telling you that by the end of the year, we will owe less than $8 million on this facility. Less than $8 million. Now, let me put that in layman's terms because I'm a layman when it comes to finances. If you send me an email with a spreadsheet with tabs, I'm deleting it and sending you an email that says, I need an executive summary. I don't do tabs on spreadsheets. <laughs> Let me explain this in real layman's terms. Our mortgage is about a million dollars a year. So the sooner we are out of debt, we as a church family get a million dollar raise for missions and ministry. Can you imagine how many more churches and campuses and people we can send if just out of our tithes and offerings, another million comes in? 
In addition to that, we gave away over a million dollars missions the last two years and plan to exceed that this year. And the fact is, as we'll talk about that next week, the more we give, the more the Lord continues to provide. He is faithful in that way. Now, it does translate into people, worship and growth at Church of the Mill. These caught me. To date, this year, we've had 1,600 first-time guests. 1,600 people have come to Church at the Mill for the very first time this year. We averaged 70 first-time families a month. So a month, 70 people as a family come in. 70 first-time families. As, as of today, with two classes left to teach, because we don't count you as a member until you take the class, we've had 270 new members this year join our church. 270. That's incredible. And last week, we set a new attendance record. Off of Easter now. You can't count Easter. It's an anomaly. Easter's like what you put, you weigh on your driver's license. I mean, you were there, but you were there. Apart from Easter, last week we set an all-time attendance record of 3,600 people at Church at the Mill. Think about that. Now, if you're new, if you're a guest, it'll be a long time before you hear stats again. You'll never see them posted. We don't post stats. It's an inside discussion to encourage a family. I'm not going to let an unchurched world who needs Christ think that we're preoccupied with how many people showed up. I don't need to brag on social media about the numbers. But I do want the family to know where we are and why we are where we are. Which leads to that last verse I'd like to share with you. After verses 12 and verses 13, Paul then reads or writes these words. He says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part works properly. This is where you come in. This first changed my life. I know God saves people. Only he can work in your life spiritually. But according to this passage, you have the power to make our church grow in love by doing your part. I'll share with you my final statistic. 1,600 members right now are actively serving in some capacity at our church. And I rejoice in that. Many of you are those people. About 1,000 members are not serving in any way at Church at the Mill. It broke my heart when I heard just a few days ago that we actually had to deny a family who had a child with special needs recently because we didn't have another volunteer in the all-access ministry. You see, the all-access ministry is the ministry we started recognizing that every child and every student and eventually every adult with special needs also deserves a place at Church at the Mill. And more than them is an opportunity to encourage their families who need an extra measure of encouragement because if you know anything about serving, loving, or raising a child with special needs, you know there's an extra measure of stress, an extra measure of anxiety, and an extra measure of energy that it takes. God is faithful. He is sufficient. He can do it. 
We have some beautiful children in that ministry. I shared that in the 9 o'clock service, and a man walked up to me, misty-eyed, and he said, you stepped all over my toes. I taught special education for 30 years. I had no idea. I just walked back there and signed up to serve. Here. Today, today, Nate needs 50 more volunteers in the children's ministry today. Tripp says he could use about 20 to 25 more adults on Wednesday nights to make it run more efficiently and more effectively. I know it's hard. I know Wednesdays are hump day. I know your job can be stressful. But you want to be blessed? Leave at 5 o'clock in time to come in and love on a 7th or 8th grader that might not be going home to anybody that's sharing the love of Christ with them. More than anything, we're going to be judged by what we do with this opportunity. I cannot speak on the authority of God's word in this moment, but I will speak on the authority of your pastor. And I believe the Lord has afforded me a measure of discernment. I think we may be one of the last generations of mega churches in the world. I think persecution is coming in North America, and I don't think it's going to come through violence. I don't think you're going to be threatened by, uh, by uh, physical tension or altercation. If we continue to see our nation drift, eventually they're going to come at nonprofits like us and say, because you will not change your definition of marriage, because you will say there are only two genders, and because you prescribe to a biblical view of sexuality, we are going to strip you of your nonprofit status, and suddenly we will be a taxable organization. And that will change the face and the landscape of churches in North America. I don't want that to happen. I'm not a doomsday guy. I just don't think we need to let it be missed that we are an anomaly. The vast majority of Christians never walk into a room like this week in and week out. And the vast majority of churches in North America are plateaued and declining. Why do I tell you this? Certainly, I want you to be proud of what God is doing. But I tell you because of what keeps me up at night sometimes. We're going to be asked by God what we did with this opportunity. Look what he's given us. Every time we sneeze, somebody joins. Every time we open the door, we set a record. Why? We're not that good. God is asking us to be entrusted with a tremendous amount of souls that we need to release as mature disciples. And we cannot do that if every member's not willing to get off the wagon, grab some rope, and pull. And there are a thousand of you who right now are enjoying the fruit of preaching, the joy of worship, the kindness of child care provided by others, the warmth of hospitality, and you are doing nothing. And you can tell me you're busy or you have conflicts, but the reality is the people who are watching your children this morning, they're busy too. And for that matter, I'm thankful my Savior wasn't too busy to walk up Calvary. I'm thankful that God decided to... Take his son, yeah. I'm thankful that God decided to give me what I could never earn. And then, of all things, ask me in my living to inherit eternal life, and yet while I'm here on earth, to serve the Lord in some way. Which explains serve link. It's wrong for a pastor to convict you and to not help you. I'm not angry. I'm not coming from a place of frustration. I'm coming from a place of conviction. We have this opportunity. It's never been this good. We're in a season and a window that we're going to be measured by what we do. 
And you may say, well, Pastor, what can I do? I'm, I'm just here. That's the problem. I need you to find one or two ministries to serve in. And by the way, can you grow through the preaching of God's Word? Yes, it's why I've given my life to preaching. But you can also grow by doing the Word. And there's a certain amount of spiritual growth that won't come until you roll your sleeves up and say, I can serve. And you may say, oh, he's just recruiting for the preschool role. He just needs more people to serve. It's got nothing to do with me. I have a group of people here. They're going to be faithful. It has everything to do with you obeying the Lord. If you are here, if you are in relatively good health, if you say the Lord Jesus is your Savior and the Holy Spirit lives in you and you believe that heaven is your home, you cannot stand before a holy God and explain that your church involvement was rolling in six minutes after the service enjoying coffee somebody else made for you, listening to Pastor DJ lay it down, patting yourself on the back for checking off that box and rolling into your life full speed and never once thinking, God, would you be calling me to make a difference in a student's life, a child's life, even opening the door for somebody, helping somebody park a car, serving in some way. And the joy of it is, if all of us will do one or two ministries, if we'll serve, then you'll see the load lighten on a core group that has carried it about as far as it's going to go. Until we see another wave of mobilization I don't believe we'll see another level of influence. And you may say, well, aren't we influencing people enough? Within the next two years, I hope to send several hundred of you out to more campuses, which means next man up has never meant more. And so that form that we gave you with the QR code, that serve link form, it's given there, and there's a map on it. And the map of and the map on the in the, on, the, uh, on the bottom of it shows you the areas you can go this morning. And what we've done is we've given them all shiny hooks. When you walk by, they're going to pull you in. We trained them all. A timeshare company came in and trained every one of them. We're going to overpromise and underdeliver. Our desire is to wear you out. And by the way, even though I'm joking, I don't want you to make heaven burned out, but it's okay to make heaven tired for serving Jesus. It's okay, it's okay to push yourself to serve the Lord. It's okay. And what you'll find is when you get to the end of yourself, you'll see in your weakness, his strength, you are made strong. So you can click on the QR code, you can fill out the card and hand it to any ministry, you can get questions asked today. And by the way, that is the invitation. Let's rejoice in 1600. Let's lament of the thousand, and let's shrink that number, and let's do it together.